You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, it's the normal three guys with Josh and Connor here talking all things about a crazy week in MLS and getting ready for the next week in MLS. But before we talk all things soccer in North America and abroad, Josh, pick up soccer update and how is the week outside pickup soccer for you? The week was pretty good. Today, Labor Day, was a solid holiday. Got a lot of errands done, so it was, it was productive for having that extra day off. Uh, but I ended up, you know, normally I'm playing on Saturdays to pick up. They were full this past Saturday, but they had another game today, so I was able to be in that one. I only scored once, unfortunately, and my team lost. But I felt like my hold-up play was pretty good. So... I was still in that striker position. I was doing a good job of dropping into the midfield. Now, to be fair, the guy that I've had the best chemistry with the last two games, he wasn't there this morning, so that that sucked. And then I was going up against people that actually defended really well. These two guys that I haven't played with yet, and I've been playing with this group for almost a year now, and I didn't recognize these guys, but they were like, these dudes were like communicating with each other, and they were like, their, their positioning was excellent. I could not lose them at all. I was doing a lot of running this morning, and it was it was not working. So to all the people that care a lot about how I'm doing and pick up, I'm sorry to have let you down, and I'm sorry to have let my team down, but I'll be back next week stronger than ever. Connor, how are you doing? I know you're feeling great. The Raptors are looking excellent. How are you? Had to bring it up, didn't you? Of course. Just had to bring it up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so we're recording this Monday night after the Raptors. Basically, we're down 20 for the entire game, which was not ideal. Um, did, they, did they miss the uh, the walk-in to the arena? Did they did they miss the game time, the starting time? It sounds like they didn't honest, show up. Honestly, they probably would have done better. Um, it was just so bad. They shot like 20% in the first quarter, which... Is just unacceptable. Um, kind of essence of Toronto FC with them tonight, which we'll get to later because this week for Toronto sports has not been ideal. Uh, if we're going to go into baseball, to Oscar Hernandez, somebody who's been having a crazy season for Toronto, got injured. So we're not in a good place. And I start classes tomorrow, so nerves are high. Um Frustration is real with the Toronto sports teams, as the two Atlanta boys is, are definitely used to as well. Uh, that's something we can actually relate to. Um, but yeah, this has not been <laughs> the best week in the world, to put it mildly, but we move, and hopefully this week gets better. Um, could be a lot worse than it currently is. Drew, hopefully you're doing better than me. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, yeah, school's still going. School's school, so that's a fun time. I got to go visit my brother who lives in Louisville, Kentucky, and he got engaged over the weekend. So good job, Matt. I don't know if my brother listens to this, but if he does, good job, buddy. Um, so yeah, that was cool. Got to see him and my new sister-in-law. I don't know how that works, but yeah, so that was fun. Uh, football starts Thursday. So I'm super pumped about that. Texans in Kansas City. 
Get to see Deshaun Watson, the pride of Gainesville, Georgia, from which I am from. Get to see him hopefully tear up Kansas City. I'm pulling for the Texans in that. But then the Falcons come back Sunday, and they're playing Seattle. Yeah, no, not high hopes for that game at all. <laughs> um, but it's good to have football back. Uh, I think college football started not too long ago. So it's fun having sports back, but getting away from football and into soccer, I got to watch NWSL came back. Um, Sky Blue FC and the Washington Spirit, our best friend Aubrey Bledsoe, was on primetime CBS on a Saturday afternoon in September in the South. So instead of watching college football on Saturday, I got to watch best friend Aubrey Bledsoe play soccer, which was great. Um, unfortunately, the Spirit lost 2-1 to one to Sky Blue. Uh, I think Mitch Purse got the game-winning goal, so that was cool. Um, NWSL is back, and I think they come back Friday. Uh, kind of a battle of the champions on Friday. The North Carolina Courage play the Houston Dash, the winners of the Challenge Cup, so battle of champions there but outside the nwsl uh u.s women's national team stars christian press and tobin heath have been rumored with a move to manchester united for it feels like a couple weeks but we're still waiting on an official announcement and what's cool and interesting about that move is that there was some reporting done that um the 2021 u.s women's national team cba limits there only being three players abroad in the 2021 season, and Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle are already abroad. So Mew, um, Heath and Press kind of throw a curveball in that. What's the deal with that? So before we get specific into this Heath and Press move, Josh, I'll start with you. What do you think about U.S. soccer limiting the women's national team players to stay in the NWSL like they are with the CBA? I think I can see it from both sides pretty well, uh, just to be honest. You know, from one side, you have these excellent top players and getting them overseas is big, I think, because you're just you're getting more exposure on the global stage, which, to be fair, the women's national team already has the most exposure of any women's team in the world because they've been so successful, especially recently. But I think that helps grow the NWSL a little bit. It shines a little bit more light on that, especially if these few players are doing well, because then you say, oh, where did they come from? They came from the NWSL. So that, that part of it's good. The reason why, personally, I like this rule limiting three players is because what I think is going to happen is these European clubs, and we've talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, I think these European clubs are going to start pouring more money into their women's programs, which they should. And from there, you're going to see these big European clubs start to build up their leagues, and they're going to start to bring in more players, and they have more money than these American clubs, I'm pretty sure. So... I'm, I'm afraid that they're going to start taking away all the best players from NWSL. And then what happens to the NWSL? Well, then the quality dips because all the best players are gone. And then the league, it's not growing as fast as it was before. So I'm, I understand why the rule is in place. And personally, I'm for it, at least for now. I, and again, I see both sides of it. It's great to have players go over because it helps grow. But at the same time, it hinders the growth of NWSL by itself. So those are that's that's my thoughts on it. I definitely see both sides of it. I struggle to sort of understand how this is allowed to be a rule. I feel like FIFA would have some sort of issue with it, considering the fact that it's a national team sort of restricting where the players can play club football. Uh, I don't know if this is a rule that 
they're allowed to institute. I assume it is considering they are doing it, but then again, the U.S. kind of runs women's soccer in a way. So maybe they it isn't a thing. I'm just really confused by it. I would I want to point out that in regards to FIFA and their rulings over the world, the U.S. has always been sort of a special case, right? Because they, they get away without having promotion relegation. That's in the FIFA rules. You're supposed to have pro-rel in your leagues, but MLS has skirted around it for 25 years now, and there's never any talks about FIFA ins- instituting that rule here stateside. So I, I bet because of how successful the women's national team is and what it does for the the women's side of soccer around the world, I bet FIFA was like, we'll, we'll let this slide. We'll let you guys do whatever you want because you're the best. Okay, that's that makes a little bit of sense uh, that a, let's say, not the cleanest organization in the past when it comes to certain things. Uh, Still not so letting, clean. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but you're not entirely wrong. Um, look, I think there are positives, there are negatives to it. I, It's only national team players, correct? It's not just internationals. Yeah, so I guess it makes sense that you want your best players staying here, but I'm interested to see what happens with the players who aren't on a national team. And then in the case of if the national team wants to call up a player who's in Europe and there's already three there, what hap- what has to happen in that situation if someone who wasn't on the national team moves? There's a lot of uncertainty, I guess, with this rule and uncertainty that I have with this rule. So I don't really know how this is actually happening and how they're going to institute it and just everything around it is very confusing drew what are your thoughts on this entire stuff because clearly i'm confused and maybe you have a bit better of an understanding of it um i don't I, it's confusing all the way around but i do want to say <laughs> um is it rich laverty i believe is how you pronounce his name if i mispronounce that name i am so sorry but he's the one that reported it um and yeah, kind of summing up his tweet, said, while there are no current restrictions on the number of national team players who can play abroad in 2020, the number will be limited to three in 2021 as laid out in the CBA, agreed by the Players Association and USSF. So he was on reporting that, so credit to him for that. But yeah, I think it's interesting because, like Josh said, I mean, you want the best players in the NWSL. You want to go to games and see Tobin Heath nutmegging entire teams. You want to see Kristen Press scoring from outside the box. But at the same time, I think limiting how many players can stay in the league kind of gives the NWSL a cheat code out that if the NWSL doesn't raise their game to these European club standards as far as pumping money into the club, training facilities, um, fields, then you're kind of limiting them to not being able to leave. But at the same time, the players agreed to this too. So obviously there's kind of something in there that they want to stay stateside. And you can make the debate, and I think it's true, that the NWSL is probably the best league in the world, I think, from top to bottom with nine, soon to be 10 teams. So I think when we talk about this, we have to remember that the players, I mean, they agreed to this too. They had a say in it, and it sounds like they're in favor of staying stateside. Connor, I saw your hand go up. Yeah, I'm wondering what happens if the players grow tired of the rule and they want to move to Europe. Will players pull out of the national team? If the financial benefit's potentially better in Europe as opposed to using the NWSL in terms of financials and whatever the U.S. 
Federation is paying them. I wonder if the U.S. loses players and what that whole situation is going to be like. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, although now that you pointed out, I think it's a, it could be a possibility. But again, they, they put this rule, like players were okay with this rule, so I assume, like Drew was saying, they're going to be okay with it for a while. And then maybe down the road as things change and evolve, they'll walk back that rule and whenever their next agreement is due. But moving on, big news in MLS this week. Probably the two biggest stories outside of actual games. First, Chris Armas fired by Red Bulls. He helped lead the club to their Supporters' Shield in 2018, although he did take over midseason for Jesse Marsh when Marsh took the job at Salzburg. Um, Armas helped the team go to the playoffs last year as well, although that game was not great. They blew a two-goal lead twice to the Philadelphia Union in that opening round. Uh, Drew, what are your thoughts on the firing of Chris Armas and for both of you guys, I want to know what, who, as far as results go with the club, do you think it's more on Armas's shoulders or do you think it's on the front office's shoulders? Um, yeah, that's a tough question. I think first the firing, I, from gathering it from Red Bull Twitter, it seemed very much that fans were in favor of the firing. I think my only, my best experience with Chris Armas was that 2018 Eastern Conference final where it went, Josh can probably say this too, matched up against the Red Bulls at Lane United. There's no way I thought we were going to win that game. And then everything changed. That Red Bull press just went away at the time where they needed it most. And maybe that had something to do with it because, I mean, the Red Bulls have been a super successful club in MLS. I think one of the top-tier clubs in the league, but they don't have the MLS Cup. They have a supporter shield, um, which thanks to Chronotron, Connor's Toronto FC kind of robbed him from Atlanta in that. I think it was like a 4-1 beatdown last game of the season in 2018, but whatever. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think I saw it coming. I think they want that MLS Cup more than anything. Um, Supporter Shields are great, but hot take, I think MLS Cup is still the superior trophy, and I think Red Bulls want that more than anything. Um, As far as the front office that go, uh, I mean, obviously losing Tyler Adams is a big deal, but losing a player to Europe, not that much you can complain about. Um, and Kamar Lawrence was a big piece. I know he's gone. So I think I'm putting it more on Chris Armas. Um, but obviously, I think in this move, the front office had a hand in it as well. But I'm putting most of the blame on Armas. Connor, what did you think about the firing? I'm very torn on it because you look at the team this year and there is some decent players, but they lost Bradley Wright Phillips. Uh, they've ba- they lost both their fullbacks. They lost their starting keeper. Like, how that's a ton of key pieces, especially when, I guess, three of those pieces have been a part of your organization for quite a while. And at the same time, Armas, if I remember correctly, he wasn't even starting Kaku. Correct? Yeah, so that's true. So if you're not starting your DP, there's got to be an issue there. Whether that be with the manager or the front office, I'd say that both share a lot of the blame. Armas clearly hasn't succeeded in his time with Red Bull. Uh, that's very apparent. But I don't know. I think it's sort of a tough firing, but I understand it. There needs to be more player acquisitions, first of all, and they need to replace Bradley Wright Phillips and everyone else they've lost. But I understand it. Josh, where do you sort of stand on this firing? I'm, I'm pretty much with you guys as far as... 
I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the timing of it. I don't know what the club is going to accomplish by getting rid of the coach now. You know, I could understand if, like, if it was like Atlanta was right after MLS's back tournament, and you kind of want that fresh start for the rest of the season. But they've they're already a couple games in, so that part of it to me is a little questionable. It was inevitable, like Drew was saying. Fans have not been happy with Armas since day one. I've seen them complaining about him nonstop since he was announced as coach. Now, I think he deserves some of it because at the end of the day he sort of dialed back New York's press. That's what they were known for. And guess what? They could have a bunch of college kids, which is essentially what they like to do anyway. And if you get 11 college kids pressing collectively together, then you're going to win a fair amount of games. You're going to punch above your weight because the system itself is going to outplay other teams. You don't need the talent if the system is efficient. But they're so back and forth. And I understand why he did it. He wanted to incorporate possession into their style because teams were figuring out how to stop them in the press you know you go back to the Chivas CCL semifinal New York outshot them like 23 to 3 that's Matias Almeida's Chivas by the way and Chivas just scored once (laughs) and they bunkered the rest of the way and they held Red Bulls and they moved on So I know why Armas wanted to get the players with possession but I think he just dialed back the press way too much and, you know, this is sort of a rhetorical question, but name me one key player that's not Kaku. Aaron Long. Okay. But has he been playing that well recently? Have you been hearing about him a lot? Not really. And I part of it, too, is why didn't they sell him? He was getting those offers I, from West Ham. and I think there were issues with his visa. He wasn't able to get a visa in England. That's fair. To be... To be honest, though, the perception was that they weren't willing to sell him except for a certain price, which that's a whole other conversation as to whether or not West Ham was not valuing him properly or maybe Red Bulls were overvaluing him, but that might be having an effect on his play now in the long term. But as far as whose fault it is, I think it's Armist's fault for not using the trusted system that was going to get the best out of these players, but it's also the front office's fault for not supplying the club with good players because Kaku is like their only main star DP. And, and like you said, Connor, he's not even starting. And whether that's because he doesn't care enough to deserve the starting spot, or maybe he's not playing well enough, or maybe, you know, there's just so much dysfunction right now. It feels like and they got to figure it out fast because again, they don't have the talent to just go out and win games. It's all about that system. And so I hope at least for the sake of their identity and that club and how it's run, they go back to that furious pressing style because it was entertaining. As much as I hated going up against it as an Atlanta fan, it was successful. I don't know why they went away from it. Speaking of Atlanta, huge news this week for Atlanta United. P.T. Martinez, star DP, who at the time I think still is the league's most expensive transfer incoming, who's around 16, 17 million. There were a bunch of added on fees, so no one knows the real fee. But... News came down, I think it was Wednesday? Yeah, because it was the day that they were playing um, Inter-Miami. News came down that Saudi Arabian club Al Nasser sent in an $18 million bid to Atlanta United. Sounds like the deal got done that day, which personally I am in favor of. Drew, as an Atlanta fan, what are your thoughts on this sale? It kind of felt like it came out of nowhere, but what, what, were, what are your thoughts on P.T. Martinez leaving after just about a year and a half? Yeah, I'm 
I'm, I'm disappointed in what we got from him in Atlanta because he came in as a reigning South American Player of the Year, and we had never seen anything like that um, recently in MLS. So there are a lot of expectations, which he didn't play absolutely terribly, but I don't think he lived up to those expectations at all. I do think it's unfortunate because there's this system that Atlanta's building of buying players from South America for relatively cheap and selling them to Europe for well above what they spent. And I thought that worked to a T with Miguel Amaron buying him for like $8 million, and I think selling the Newcastle for like $24 million. Um, and I think when that happened as the first example of this system, fans were expecting that across the board. Fans were expecting it to work that smoothly and that perfectly. And I think Pity Martinez and even Barco, which we'll talk about in a second, showed that it's not that simple, that there are some bumps that can go along the way. Um, but as far as going to Saudi Arabia, I'm okay with it as an Atlanta United supporter. Um, again, like you mentioned, the fees, I don't know if it, the club is making that much of a profit from this transfer, but they're at least making their money back from when they bought him from River Plate in Argentina, I do believe. So I think most people were expecting him to stay not that long and go to a bigger club in Europe, but he's getting a lot of money. Um, he's making $4.5 million per year, up from about a little less than a million here in the States. And from the club perspective, they're making their money back and maybe a little bit more. So I'm a fan of it. I don't think he lived to the standards that people set for him. Um, but wish him all the best in Saudi Arabia, for sure. I think this is just a total win for Atlanta United. It's almost a steal. It's almost criminal what they have accomplished with PT Martinez. Honestly, let's if you look at this completely objectively, South American Player of the Year, they spent all that money on him. Did not live up to it at all, I don't think. I don't think any Atlanta fan will say he lived up to that price tag. I don't think they'll say that he performed up to fan expectations, whether or not they were fair expectations. That's a different conversation. But regardless, objectively, I don't think he performed as, as high as he should. But still won the team two trophies. He was an integral part of the Open Cup and the Campionas Cup. And the club still made a few million dollars off of him. That is absolutely incredible. If I was another, if I was another fan of the league, I'd be so annoyed at watching Atlanta get this average-looking player with all this hype, and they still made a profit on him. Which I just, I just can't believe. It, it feels like, it just feels like a complete robbery. So I, I'm impressed that Atlanta was able to pull it off. Maybe it's a little bit of luck. Because I doubt there's any other club in the world willing to pay the 18 million that Al Nasser play, that paid. So good for Atlanta for doing it. Um, the club has said that they want to bring in another DP to replace in this window. Personally, I'm not in favor because they don't have a permanent coach yet. I don't see the point in building a team without a coach that has a clear style. By the way, PT Martinez was bought without a coach. They got him before they hired DeBoer, and we all saw how that worked out. So I wish, like, as good as Bocanegra and Eels have been, I don't trust them enough to build a team and then get a coach. I'd rather them get a coach and use his or her input into the team. But speaking of DPs for Atlanta, Barco is also possibly on the move. Connor, we talked a little bit about it before the podcast started, but if the club is able to move Barco at a, at a reasonable reasonable price in this window, what what are your thoughts on Atlanta losing its only two playable DPs in this window? Well, even if they still had Burko, they were screwed. Um, they don't have Joseph Martinez, and he's basically that entire team. So 
right off the bat, they're not looking good. Um, if they don't bring in another DP, which will be difficult to say the least, um, they're going to be in a very bad position come the end of the season is my theory. Uh, if they do manage to bring in a new DP, which I think will be very difficult, that would be great for them. And hopefully said player has a big impact. I doubt it will be Gonzalo Higuain, although I'm sure you two want that to happen because it sounds like he's going to go to inter Miami. No, I don't want Um, to. not really sure, but who do you guys think they're going to bring in if they do get rid of Barco? I uh, personally, I don't even know what to fix with this team. I don't know what to do about the the team and about their their worries, their all the issues that they're dealing with. But I will say that whatever it is, they're going to need a midfielder of some kind because the midfield is clearly Atlanta's weakest spot. So hopefully, if Atlanta is bringing in a new DP in this window, which again, I strongly am against, then hopefully it's a, it's a central midfielder. Yeah, I'm on the same boat. Um, I think they'll do the traditional route and will go to South America, whether it's Argentina or another country and grab a player. I don't know the Argentine league well enough to give you a name off the top of my head, but I think that's where they'll go. But yeah, I agree for sure in the midfield. Um, I think when you look at, obviously, not having Joseph is hurting up top. Um, Adam John's not doing too bad up top, but... I just I, I did just see he's had three shots on goal. Like, he's only taken three shots. They were all headers, and he finally scored on one. So, I feel like now, looking at that stat, he's not getting the, the, um, the help from around him. He's not getting the chances created for him. Yeah, so for sure an attacking mid. Because right now it feels like it's all falling on Emerson Hindman and Eric Rometty, which they're all good players, but I don't think they can carry the weight. Um, so for sure agree in the midfield about that. But more about Europe. Sorry to cut you off, Drew. I did yeah, want to throw I did want to throw out one name because you mentioned the Argentinian League. What would your thoughts be if you acquired Christian Pavon? <laughs> Because it sounds more and more like he's not going to be re-signed by LA Galaxy. What, what's he has his experience price tag again? in MLS? Is like it twenty million? million. Oh, yeah, man. but uh, he's uh, okay. <laughs> he's he's in his prime again. I don't know if Atlanta needs. Okay, well it's Christian Pavon. Like he's he's clearly one of the best players in MLS. Regardless. Uh, all right, all right. If if there was a front three of Pavone on the left, Joseph in the middle, and Jurgen Dam on the right, then I would love to watch that. That would be that would be a lot of fun. That's a lot of speed in the front. Like that's just that's almost unfair. So you know if, if you, uh, I don't know if I, the twenty nightmares. minutes. <laughs> That gives me nightmares with Omar Gonzalez in the I, back line. I was gonna say with a back line like TFC, I I, I understand that, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he's really worth the twenty million. Just be, I don't, I don't know. That's a tough question. I don't even really know if I'd want him in Atlanta. I definitely don't want Gonzalo Higuain. He doesn't fit the player profile that Atlanta goes for, regardless. And from what I could read in those reports, it was Higuain that was interested in Atlanta, not the other way around. Which is interesting. It kind of seems like 
people know who the bigger clubs are between Atlanta and LAFC and should be Toronto, even though he didn't mention that team. But um, yes, exactly what we need. Another slow, semi-useless striker. That's exactly what we need. But we'll get into that in a second. Do it now. Tell us. Do it now. Let's let's move. Yeah, let's move into these games from this past week. So uh, I've labeled it Toronto's no good, very bad, horrible week. Remember last week, guys, when we were talking about that awesome streak they were on? What was it, 19 games or 18 games? 17. They were trying to tie at 18. Right. And then two days later, miraculously, they lost to the freaking Montreal Impact. one nothing. Couldn't even score a goal. But you guys have seen Holes, right? The movie Holes? Yes. Or or read the book by Lewis Sacker, right? So you got Madame Zeroni and the curse. Yeah, that's what that penalty is to Toronto so far. So it's it a curse. It felt more like somebody hitting me in the forehead with a hammer. Oh personally. my gosh. Um, <laughs> that was not just wow. Uh, I understand trying it. I don't think it's a terrible idea to try it, but it needs to actually work. Look, I think Toronto's biggest issue in terms of what went wrong was everything. Uh, I'm kidding. Mostly, I think not having Richo Larea has been a really massive issue for Toronto. I think his pace on the left back, as opposed to Justin Morrow has been very helpful and having him come off the bench, even if he didn't start was very useful. I, I think, how do I put this nicely? Josie Altador has not been himself recently. I think it's probably fair to say he's struggled. Um, that's for sure. In terms of actually getting involved, I found he's just sort of been gone. Like he hasn't been useful at all. He's been more of an Im- like negative impact on the games, and that's not like him. Clearly, uh, he's got to wake up seriously, and I think he has to wake up. I think. Toronto's attack needs to wake up. Obviously, Pozzuolo is great. Uh, Piatti has been playing very well. But they need to actually put the ball in the back of the net. Yes, they did it two times against Vancouver, which we'll get into in a second. But to not score against Montreal in that game was just shameful. It was an embarrassing performance whole way around. What did you guys think about that game? Yeah, I think the penalty was for sure gutsy. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think... There's so much talent. I mean, you have Pasuelo, and then Altidore, like you mentioned, hasn't been doing, living up to what we know he can play like. So, yeah, I mean, the back, it feels like we, when we talk about TFC, we're talking about the back line. And, I mean, holding Montreal just one goal, you feel like if you had said they held Montreal Impact to one goal, then the next sentence would be, okay, they won 3-1, 2-1, something like that. So there's, there's that positive that, okay, the defense, one goal, you trust the attack to get the job done, but that hasn't been happening. And then it felt like when the Vancouver game, which we'll talk about in a second, it was kind of the flip that you let on three goals to arguably the worst team in the league. So it feels like it's just not connecting right now against that Montreal game. It felt like the back line was kind of making progress, and then it just all went backwards against the Whitecaps. And what a team to go backwards against. One of the worst teams in the league. Which when It doesn't we help about, when you start... Laurent Simon instead of Chris Mavinga, but we'll get into that. I love that. seeing your tweets about Laurent Simon all the time and just how bad he's been playing. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, like you just figure that 
I mean, we talked when we talked about it last week. I feel like it was, they're going to break the streak. They're at least going to get a draw, and they're going to beat Vancouver by four was the attitude around it. But the penalty that broke Toronto, when we look back at this year and the season, that moment's going to be the one that broke the TFC organization. Josh, what have you thought about Toronto's very bad, no good week, as you put it? I just, I still can't believe the penalty, man. I just can't believe it. They, uh, it's a, it's a penalty. Like that's, it's supposed to be a goal for the people taking. It the was a goal. It just didn't count because for some reason they called Piatti as in the box when you look at the He's Messi Suarez arc, right? penalty. Yes, when you look at the Messi Suarez penalty, Suarez was basically in the exact same position. So. I mean, it is messy and Suarez, so like I can understand why it wasn't uh, strictly enforced. But also, refereeing now feels a lot more ticky-tacky, a lot more specific with VAR, especially during penalties. So I can understand why this time it didn't work out. But again, it's a penalty. Like, Don't overthink it. Just don't. Take your penalty. Get your goal. I just can't. I still can't believe they lost to Montreal, man. I just can't. And then for them to lose to Vancouver as well later in the week. I just can't believe it. And I'm not even I'm not even you, Connor. I don't even care that much about Toronto FC. I was gonna say join the club. <laughs> um, do we wanna talk about Vancouver now? I, I all I wanna say on my end about them and that game is good for them for getting a win. Is it sustainable? Probably not. I mean that kid, I can't remember his name. Baldissimo. There you go, Baldissimo. I mean, what a what a goal. What a first career goal. I didn't even... We have goals to talk about later, and I didn't even put him on the list, so I'm going to do that in a second. But, yeah, I mean, great, great... Man, and him and Theo Bear last year. What's up with these Vancouver kids and their first career goals being absolute bangers? I mean, I don't know what's in the water up in Vancouver, but, again, I don't know that it's sustainable. It was good to see Lucas Cavallini score. I think that bodes well for Vancouver in their future. But they they were outshot, and it almost kind of feels like Toronto lost, not Vancouver won, you know? I disagree completely, actually. I was very proud of the Whitecaps. I mean, I think this is going to, again, when I say this is going to be a turnaround for the Whitecaps, I don't mean that they're going to go on to win MLS Cup. I just think they're not going to be as bad as we're used to them seeing. But I think this is going to be a breakthrough for Cavallini. Seeing him get that goal was awesome. What And that ball from Ali Adnan was absolutely phenomenal which I think we've talked about him before, and he's leading MLS defenders in assists right now, which is great. But it's the whole okay. defending so, part. Sorry, I have to stop you there. How are we calling Ali Adnan a defender at this point? I was going to say, I think it's misleading that thing. he plays it's left back. Defender. He doesn't do the whole defending thing. They just need to move him up to the midfield, play him in that left midfield role. Exactly. But he's played, if you put him in that midfield role, he's a good player. I mean, saying he's the best left back in the league, if you forget the defending responsibility. It's George Bellow, by the way. <laughs> he's played really well lately. I think that's a lot viable claim. But So I was proud of the Whitecaps. He fought back. I think Jake Nowinski got that winning goal off a scrappy set piece. So I think it's going to be a turnaround for the Whitecaps. Again, when I say turnaround, I think they're still going to be pretty bad. And it doesn't help that they're playing the same teams for right now. We don't know what's going to happen in phase two of this thing. But credit to the Whitecaps. Again, that first that set-piece goal was pretty phenomenal, the first one. And, yeah, I think this is going to be a breakthrough for Cavallini for sure. Yeah, that was just not a very good performance by Toronto FC. Uh, Laurent Simon 
that was ugh. um he was very bad <laughs> to say the least he should have gotten that Eliadan cross cleared and was out of position for that he didn't do play the set piece well well he didn't play both set pieces well <laughs> and overall just wasn't very good um i think he's a good player and i refuse to write him off I think that he no. would fit a lot better in a three-back formation where he has Mavinka and Gonzalez to break, to save him, I guess, defensively, because defensively he is not it, um, but he's okay. I've, like, he's a four. He's a four center back, I think. He's not a three, he's a four. And Toronto needs to pick up a third defenseman, defenseman, defender, um, if they want to have a shot at repeating MLS Cup, going to MLS Cup final because right now what they're doing is not sustainable and Josie Altador needs to wake up because he was just completely useless in this game again. Akinola was okay. He didn't really do much. He's probably got to find his form. It's just been so yeah. long since he's played. And he's coming off a hamstring issue too at a young age. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not giving Josie it, but... I understand he's probably got a lot going on in his life around so because he's fairly involved in social justice issues and Sloane Stevens, who he's either dating, I think he's just dating, uh, is currently competing at the U.S. Open. So maybe there's some external factors there, but he's got a belly butter. Josh, what do you think about this entire Toronto FC situation? I just wanted to say that it's definitely time to give up on Laurent Simon. I mean, he's not good anymore. He hasn't been the same player since he left for France, was it? Or was it Belgium? Uh, after being with LAFC. So, I mean, he was great for Montreal, and he was good for LAFC. So, I don't know what's going on with him. I, I think it is time to give up on him, though. Moving on into LA Galaxy... They had a very good week compared to, to Toronto. So much better. <laughs> they beat Portland 3-2 and beat LAFC 3-0. So my biggest question to you guys is what has changed with the LA Galaxy since MLS is back? Drew, what, has, what do you think has happened with LAFC? What's changed? With LAFC, it's I don't because you look at their last results. They got shut out against the Galaxy in that first game, lost two nothing, um, lost to Seattle three one, smacked San Jose, and that kind of felt like the return of the old LAFC, winning five to one. Um, so, yeah, it's I mean when you think I think we talked about this before. Obviously, not having Carlos Vela is kind of a bummer, but they still have the talent. I mean, you have Bradley Wright Phillips, one of the best goal scorers in the league, um, and they're still not getting it done. I think it's a little bit that the LA Galaxy kind of have their number um, because they've beaten them twice in the past month, beating them uh, the 22nd of August and then beating them now. And maybe it's kind of that, like, when you're in this weird regional segment that if you play a team that has your number, um, it's a lot harder to break free from that. And it just looks a whole lot worse because you're playing the same teams over and over again. So when they have your number, um, it's hard to break free from that, especially in this rivalry. And we talked about Sebastian Legette. He just feels like he always shows up when they're playing LAFC. 
So I think this playing the same teams over and over again, especially when you're playing the Galaxy, who feel like the Galaxy has their number right now, is not helping them. But they just got to get the goal scoring. I mean, they have way too much talent. I know you're losing Carlos Vela, one of the best players in the continent, if not the best, but there's still a whole lot of talent on that attacking side of the ball. And they play RSL uh, Wednesday, so and RSL has let up a lot of goals before, so maybe this game will be the kick in the pants they need to kind of break free from this, which you, I saw, Josh, I'm calling on you. I saw your hand up. Yeah, first of all, I totally meant to say what's changed with LA Galaxy because they've been on fire, so that was my fault for, for saying LAFC. But I, I did also want to talk about them just because I can't believe they haven't been playing as well. I mean, you're right. They have this attacking talent. Um, and I do agree with you that playing the same teams you know, might have the effect of you know, one team can have another team's number. But at the same time, I think LAFC is just, they're just so much trouble without Edward Atuesta. It's not Vela that they're missing because again, they have those attacking pieces and you can, you can tell that the attacking side of the game hasn't really taken a hit, but not having Atuesta has really hurt their pressing. And that's a big part of LAFC's identity. So that's been really key to them. Now, on the Galaxy side of things, it's been fun to watch them actually utilize their players. They didn't play a great game against LAFC last night, and having the red card with Mark Anthony K was super influential in the game, which, by the way, that means against RSL, they won't have Mark Anthony K because of suspension. And I don't know if Atwest is going to be healthy. So that right there is like two-thirds of their midfield, like really important parts of their midfield that they're going to be missing. So RSL might be able to steal a result. Who knows? But I, I just want to point out that I'm, I'm super impressed with LA Galaxy, what they've been able to accomplish. It looks like they're finally finding a style that's fitting the players they have instead of all the aimless crossing that Bar- uh, Guillermo Barroscoloto had them doing before the league shut down and during MLS is back. So good for them for bouncing back. We'll see if it's sustainable. One other thing before I throw it to Connor for his thoughts on the LA game. I am so excited to see what galaxy are doing with their younger players. Uh, Cameron Dunbar, I think made an appearance last night. Julian Araujo has been playing a lot, which I'm all for that. I bought him on my, on the FIFA career that I'm doing with Leeds United. And he has been excellent. He's, he's great depth for my team and he's still only 19. So He's got a lot of potential just based on that alone. Um, and then who Efren Alvarez, he's another one who was also playing in last night's game. A, another young kid with a lot of great potential. Hopefully, hopefully Skloda sticks with these young kids because I think that's going to be a good path for them to build on with players like Jonathan Dos Santos coming back, Chicharito whenever he comes back. So, Connor, what are your thoughts on the, the two L.A. teams kind of going in opposite directions from MLS's back? I didn't see it uh, coming at all, truthfully. I thought LAFC would be the team doing better and LA Galaxy would be the team struggling. Uh, But here we are and LA Galaxy is playing well. So it's almost like you don't need big name European old stars to do well in this league. Um, But maybe Chicharito has a positive impact when he comes back. It's just, it's weird to me. It's weird that the LA Galaxy are doing well without Dos Santos and without Chicharito, but at least they're doing well. LAFC, the fact that they're struggling is surprising. I thought Bob Bob Bradley could manage this team a little bit better, personally. 
Um, he's clearly not been able to adapt to the Vela and Etuesta injuries. So they got to wake up and they got to turn things around or they're going to be in trouble because this is such a short season that every game you lose means that much more to where you're going to finish in the standings. And the West is very tight. So it's going to be interesting to watch just how those two play everything out. Let's talk about another team that won two games. Houston. What did you guys think about their games this week? I think Tab Ramos is really figuring out what to do with this team. Again, it kind of feels similar to the Galaxy. Um, they, they looked good at MLS's back, I thought, Houston. At, sometimes. They, they, they definitely were not one of the better teams, and that was pretty obvious with them uh, not even making it to the knockout round. That being said, they're getting some really solid results. Beat Minnesota 3-0 on, I think it was Wednesday, and then they beat Sporting Kansas City over the weekend 2-1. So good for them. They are finding a really good way to fit all their attacking pieces on the field. You've got Mara Monotas up top and Elise on the wing. Quintero's been playing out of midfield, I believe, and kind of roaming around. And that's where he does you know, his best work. Memo Rodriguez in the midfield as well has been really big for Houston. And then some of their death pieces. You know, We were talking about Ariel Lasseter a couple weeks ago signing. He's already scored two goals, I think, maybe three, and assisted on one or two more. So he's been a really big piece for them. He's not, you know, a, a write-it-in-pen starter, but he's another piece that helps the other pieces around. So it's really cool to see the team come together. I really love Tab Ramos, or Tab Ramos, Ramos, whatever. Uh, the stuff that he did with the U-20s, with the U.S. men's national team, especially in last year's, the last couple of World Cups, I should say, has always been really, really good. So for him to bring that with him to Houston is really cool to see. Connor, what are your thoughts on on Houston this week? Very impressive. The fact that they beat Minnesota and SKC, both teams who I think are pretty decent. Uh, SKC more so than Minnesota, obviously, because you know my bias towards SKC. I think it's just good that they're playing well. I don't really have much else to add to what you have said, Josh, because I don't really follow the Texas teams very closely. Uh, I mostly follow the Eastern Conference, but... Yeah, it's just good to see them doing well. And as a young team, there's never a negative to that. And hopefully that helps the league progress. And one of the biggest states in the U.S. and biggest markets in the U.S. in Houston. Drew, what did you think of Houston and their week? Yeah, um, like you guys both said, super impressed. Really happy to see them doing good. And I think just the way, it feels like they're winning in different ways. They beat Minnesota 3 nothing. And then they before that, the game before that, um, about a week before, they beat Sporting Kansas City 5-2. to two. So being able to drop five goals when you need to and then follow it up with a really good performance against one of the better teams in the league in Minnesota, I think. And then they beat Sporting Kansas City 2-1 Saturday. And they've gone five straight unbeaten going back to MLS's back group stage. And I think what is the most impressive to me, which if you go – before MLS's back tournament, one of the few games they got in before the shutdown, they lost to Sporting Kansas City four to nothing. So that feels like Tab Ramos is working with this team. They're getting better as the season's going on because they went from losing four to nothing to SKC to beating them twice in a couple weeks, uh, winning five two and two to one. So I'm super excited about this team. Um, I think. MLS is back. They showed glimpses. Uh, they had a, they hung with LAFC, drew them 3-3, uh, lost to Portland, who obviously went on to win the whole thing. 
So they hung with them. Um, yeah, super impressive. I think that they're growing as a team. They're getting better as the season's going on, which in this crazy league of playoffs, if you get hot at the right time, then you never know what could happen. So super impressed by Houston. I'm excited to see them do well. I feel like they've kind of they're kind of, one of these OGs in the league, and you kind of you forget about them with this new MLS 3.0 with Miami, LAFC, Atlanta. So excited to see them do really well. Um, yeah, so Houston playing again. I think they play Dallas next, so we'll see if they can keep up with that run. But looking forward to next week, Connor, we'll start with you. What game are you focusing your attention on this week as your game to watch? I feel like I don't really have a choice in this matter. Um, <laughs> I think it's sort of been laid out for me. Uh, uh, Toronto FC versus Montreal. This not only has ramifications for... MLS, but it also has ramifications for the Canadian Championship uh, on Toronto's journey for the Voyagers Cup. Um, we need to beat Montreal and beat Van, or I guess just beat Montreal, and we need to lose to Vancouver, so that we can actually have a chance at playing the CPL team on the other side of the whenever they finish their island games. But yeah, that's my game to watch because. Toronto FC needs to have a huge match, and if they don't, well, there goes the chances of Toronto going to Champions League. So, hooray. Josh, what is your match of the week? Yeah, I uh, picked a doozy last week. I picked LAFC San Jose, and that game wasn't entertaining at all. Very lopsided. 5-1 win for LAFC. Hopefully better this time. I am picking LAFC again, going to LAFC versus Portland. I am interested to watch this because Sebastian Blanco is going to be out. He's got the uh, the knee injury. Uh, LAFC, on the other hand, is struggling. So I think it's going to be really interesting which team kind of comes out on top. Portland as well, they've only won once. I think it is. They just beat Seattle. That was their first win since winning MLS's back tournament. One win in four games. So... I think they want to try to keep their momentum going. LAFC is trying to right the ship. And these are clubs that already have a history of not liking each other from some Open Cup games. It's always been really good, passionate games between the teams. So I'm excited to see how that shakes out. Drew, what is your game to watch this week? So I think we stick in the Western Conference all the time. And I forgot who I picked last week, but I think I picked like LAFC or the Galaxy or something like that. And this week, I'm going to go with the game that should be the most boring game in the world, but because it's MLS, it's going to be ridiculous. And honestly, if anything happens, I think it's going to exceed expectations. But I'm going Saturday night, DC United playing the New York Red Bulls. No, no, stop it. I want to see DC United get a shot off, man. They didn't get a whole shot off the entire game last time. And Red Bulls, I think this is they lost to Philadelphia. They got smacked by him yesterday. So I'm excited because something's got to give, right? Something has to give. DC United has to get a shot on goal, or the Rebels have to do something. Someone's going to have to play some sort of soccer. And I'm excited to see how anything, if anything happens, how anything happens. And because it's MLS, it's probably going to be like a five goal thriller. Um, so we'll see what happens. So, yeah, um, we have our games to watch, sticking out west and getting some. Hopefully not so boring Eastern Conference soccer. But um, as we wrap this thing up, Player of the Week, uh, Diego Rossi won last week's award, kind of. That was announced a couple days ago. 
And I think the next one will be announced tomorrow as we're recording this on the 7th. Um, so, Connor, for you, who is your player of the week after these matches? My player of the week is going against what MLS picked, although I understand Diego Rossi. I'm going with Michael Baldissimo. Because A, for his banging goal, and B, because he basically carried Vancouver to a win over Toronto. Uh, I also think Canada should get a bit more love in terms of player of the weeks, because they have gotten none. Uh, Drew uh, Josh is clearly disagreeing with me, and Drew, you'll probably disagree with me too. Um, I just need to give this kid some love, because he had a very good game, and... I think he deserves the shout out and we'll dive into his crazy goal in a second, but golden assist against Toronto FC. It's respectable. Josh, who's your player of the week? Yeah, I picked Sebastian Legette. Uh, the, his bike last night on LAFC was just chef's kiss. Just wonderful. So great to see. Uh, so he was on it last night. Robin Ludd was my second pick because he had his brace in the Minnesota game, although I do wish I'd picked uh, Teal Bunbury as my second choice. His Schross on was Bobby Shuttleworth uh, in, in the New England game last night uh, against, I guess it was against Chicago. That was wonderful. You can definitely tell he did not mean to score. He was just trying to cross it at the far post, and it somehow snuck in. And he, he scored their other goal as well. It got that brace. So for me, definitely legit. A lot of other good, great shouts. Drew, who would you have picked for Player of the Week? Yeah, I went with Minnesota United. I went with Kevin Molino. He did not get a goal in their win against RSL, but he did get a really good assist on the first goal. I think he played a really good ball that they knocked in. And then the highlight stealer of all the week was that pullback that he didn't get an assist on, but got like a secondary assist. If this was hockey, he would have gotten a point on the secondary assist. So that was pretty cool. Um, besides that, that was a really good ball on that first goal. So I picked Kevin Molino. I thought Sebastian Leggett, um, after seeing some votes and just seeing his performance, I think he's going to win, um, which makes sense. Two goals against his rival. I'm always really good. But I'm a big fan of the Baldissimo love, Connor. Um, yeah, the little white cap in me was happy to see them do good. Vancouver needs some love right now after that game seven against Vegas. So any benefit? For yeah, the you're not you're not Vancouver. wrong there. You're not the wrong there. Uh, I would have given it to Leger, but I wanted a different player on this list. So yeah, we'll deviate from it a little bit. Leger is going to get it. Um, let's take a quick look at the MLS standings because we haven't done that yet, and we do that every week now, and it just gives you guys another chance to make fun of me. Uh, we'll start with the West and finish with the East because we're going to switch it up this week. In the West, you got Sporting KC on the top with 17 points, Seattle coming in second with 15, and Minnesota rounding out the top three with 14, tied with the Galaxy and Portland. So we got a three-way tie for third. Uh, so that's going to be really interesting to watch what happens over the next week as both all three teams try to fight it out and pass the Sounders or Sporting KC to hold on to the playoff spots because between the playoffs and not playoffs, there is three points. So... It's very tight. Uh, pretty similar situation in the East. Uh, you got Columbus up top with 8-23. They're just killing the league and running away with the Supporters' Shield. Philadelphia and Toronto tied for second with 18. Philadelphia ahead on goal differential. And then coming in fourth, Orlando City sitting at 16. So it's pretty tight in the East as well. And between fifth and eighth, again, three points separating 
New England and Atlanta, although I think that gap's probably going to get a little bit bigger uh, between Atlanta and everyone else. Uh, but it's tight. It's looking exciting. What are your guys' sort of thoughts on the standings? Josh, we'll start with you. Two main thoughts, both very MLSy thoughts. One, it's fun to see how different the the shakeup is right now. It's, it's fun to not be hearing about LAFC all the time, hearing about Atlanta all the time, hearing about the New York teams all the time. So really cool. Things are super shaken up. Gotta love parody in MLS. And then my second thing is they finally updated the playoff line on the website. Finally. It's taken like three weeks of games. Like they made the announcement that they were changing how many teams were going to make the playoffs. And our boys from D.C., after not scoring – sorry, scoring – after not even – getting a single shot off they're above the freaking playoff line i just i can't even believe it drew what are your thoughts on the standings um well first on google the playoff line is not there so get on that google but mls good job um yeah but i think we talked about it keep an eye on houston um they've beaten minnesota and sporting who are two of the top three teams in the west and they're playing really good right now so I'm keeping my eye on them to get up the standings. We talked about them. They're playing really good. Um, so, yeah, standings getting updated, teams making pushes. As phase one kind of closes out and we start looking at phase two, what that means for Canadian teams, I don't think anyone knows right now. But we'll Red, see Red Bull Arena. Red Bull Arena all day for all of them. The Canadian teams are going to storm New Jersey. You heard it here first. Uh, please don't. Please just don't have that happen. I d- uh, it's just it's such a nightmare right now with the like the entire state situation and Canada and them actually taking the virus seriously and the U.S. not. <laughs> it's just very rough right now. Uh, let's sort of finish everything off though on a positive note. I want to hear your thoughts because my goal of the week is Baldissimo's banger. I think the Leger goal was nice, but. It would have been nicer if it had gone clean in as opposed to bouncing. What are your goal of the weeks for this week? Just sort of list them off. I'm still going with Sebastian Legette because a bike is a bike. Doesn't matter if he hit it into the ground, still super impressive. And the shock factor of it happening as it happened was, you know, that's why we love sports. Uh, a really good, I, I, you know what? No, I, I take it back. My favorite is the Teal Bunbury Schross. I mean, just totally scored a Galasso on just pure accident. So that's my favorite goal. I do also want to throw out Matt Real. Matt Real. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm going to go Matt Real. Uh, 18-year-old left back, I think, from Philadelphia. He scored his first goal. It was really good from a tight angle. Hit the far post and bounced in. Um, um, almost uh, flush with the goal. So really impressive first career goal from him. Drew, what's your goal of the week? Um, yeah, I think I'm not going to take Connor's Baldissimo strike, although go by caps, that was awesome. But I'm going to go with Brendan Aronson's Golazo. Uh, I don't think we've talked a whole lot about him this episode, but his stock continues to rise and it just rose even more with that banger. So he's an awesome player. Excited to see where he goes. I don't know exactly what specific teams are in the boat for him in Europe. I've seen a lot of different things and I saw a story MLS posted about the union manager um, pretty much said that they know it's going to happen. He's European bound. It's just a matter of who and when. So I am picking uh, Brennan Aronson's goal. But yeah, there were a lot of good ones. Um, Baldissimo's banger. Um, that Molino 
secondary assist we talked about where he did the back heel. That was a good setup. Um, Wando with a very disrespectful penalty kick. Toronto should have just pulled a Wondolowski in their penalty kick and did what he did. Maybe we wouldn't be talking about Toronto being terrible if they just took a page out of Wando's book. If, if you... If you get a chance, go back and, and watch that goal again because you can see where the keeper falls over and has enough time to look at it roll past him. Like That's, that's how slowly. Injury. That should be illegal. Exactly. It's just like, I mean, Wando had ended that guy's career. As he's done to so many people in MLS. Um, but yeah, we're reaching an hour, so thank you guys so much for listening. As usual, please visit the website, MLSMultiplex.com. Connor, you have your hand raised. Yes, uh, before Drew does his full outro, we do want to mention the podcast. If you did make it this far, first of all, thank you. Uh, I have a feeling very few people did, but thank you. Um, the podcast upload schedule might change a little bit. Uh, I start, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I start classes tomorrow, and I have a class basically rate bang smack when I would edit this. Uh, We'll still record Monday nights and that won't change, but it might go up a little bit later because I have a class from 12 p.m. to 6. So yeah, Um, just watch our Twitters for the episodes. Um, Hope this hopefully won't change very much. Hopefully I might be even be able to get it up earlier if we record early enough and I can edit it at night. But yeah, just sort of a heads up. Things might change a little bit, and hopefully we'll continue doing this thing. And not hopefully, we will. It just might have a varied upload schedule. Drew, take us out. You know where you can watch our Twitters, at our own individual Twitters, at Connor, at CWG Somerville, Josh, at Josh underscore Bolin, and myself, at underscore Drew Hubbard. And at MLS Multiplex, at MLS Multiplex, as... These games keep going. Riders keep making super awesome stories. So please go visit the website and follow them on Twitter, MLSMultiplex.com and at MLSMultiplex. And please leave a review. We love reading your guys' feedback, how we can get better. Um, We really do appreciate reviews and just giving us any type of feedback and how we can make this podcast a little bit better for your ears when we talk all things MLS. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Again, please visit the website and leave a review, and we will see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com.